Blog Talk Radio. Here in the United States, we have a very special guest calling in today. She came us from childhoods. One of the remarkable things about our faith and the power of faith is our ability to be able to survive the most unbelievable circumstances. I will be joining us in just a few moments. I hear that I'm strong sponsor. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. 
Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Hello. Hello. Are you there? Hi. Can you hear me? I can yeah. hear you breaking up a lot, but um, perhaps this gets better as we talk. Hello. Breaks through. Yes, I can hear you. It's really broken up a lot. I just hear pieces of words. I cannot. I cannot hear. Um, I cannot hear you. Can you see on your computer? Pardon? Can you see me on your computer? Because uh, I'm calling you from my landline, from my telephone. I can see now. I can see your text. Oh. Okay. okay. Text. But it was uh, breaking up. So now I can, uh, yeah, all right? Try okay. to speak and then we can uh, see because if I don't hear your questions, then it's going to be hard, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, here's what I'll do. I'm going to call you via another I, number. Oh. Yeah, that number there doesn't work actually because it's just like you're in a metal box and it's. Uh, you have to text me the number because I can't hear you. You have to put it on the um, on the Skype. Okay. 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 I can't hear anything That's because I ring. I don't ring from the computer. I ring from my house phone. But maybe if you have the computer, it's harder. Stay on the line. Okay. I am staying there. <laughs> okay. But if you have another number, I could call them. Perhaps it will work. So, hallelujah. Going to get this right. In Jesus' name. Can you hear me now, Lila? Yes, now I can hear you. Great. Okay. Hi. Can you hear me clearly now? Yeah, now I can hear you, Claire. You. No, Perfect. Not breaking up. Perfect. Okay, Great. I called you from a different line. Um, good okay. morning. <laughs> good, good evening. Morning. 
Yeah, it's afternoon here and rain in Wales. It's it's raining there. What time is it there in Wales? Uh, It is uh, 16.38 in the afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today and for your patience through the technical challenges. Uh, My pleasure. We're so excited to have you, and we have listeners standing by with questions um, who have read your book. Um, Wow. By way of of introduction, I first heard about you um, in West Covina, California, and then also in Los Alamitos when your husband spoke at Faith Community Church and then later at Cottonwood Church. And he made reference to his wonderful wife and you surviving a stolen childhood and the experiences right. that you had, um, you know, incredible true story of your struggle through an abusive childhood and how you survived against all the odds. Um, yeah. Thank you for being here today on Sylvia Global Media, Lila. Thank you for being yeah. here. I'm honored. It's it's great. I uh, I think it's a good people to hear my story and they can also get help. With with what I've been through, it can give help to others. I just came home from Africa now a couple of weeks, no, a week ago only. So it, it, the book is really doing well down there when we travel as well. So uh, for our very audience, good. It's not, for our audience who's not familiar with your story, start from the beginning and tell us about, you know, a life, uh, a childhood that was really stolen. And I think a lot of um, people um, struggle privately with similar yeah. issues that you experienced. Can you share that with our audience, Lila, please? Yeah. When I was a little girl, I, I was youngest uh, of uh, five siblings. So I have three sisters and then a brother, and I was uh, then born in 1966 as the youngest. And uh, my like many pregnant ladies, they are grumpy when they're pregnant, and my mom was grumpy with all four. Uh, other babies when she carried me she was not grumpy she was actually in fact very very happy so uh, my dad then uh, thought suspicion that he was my not my father so when um, I was born he then suspected she'd had an affair and that he wasn't my my uh, his kid so he then made me suffer throughout my childhood with his own jealousy and I mean he was a kind of a hunk of a man so he was like a ladies boy so I guess he thought my mom would be doing what he'd been doing, and uh, but he made me suffer for that. Um, but it was a huge dilemma because the other four children were accepted and I was not. And especially it was when he was drinking. It was a lot of alcohol in my family. That's when his rages came, and that's when he wanted to chuck me out of the house. And I, I live in, in the west. Lived in the west of Norway, on the very very. Um, uh, uh, like on its own farm far away from everything so there's absolutely nowhere to escape when he was running after me and to beat me up and things like that And but uh, it was horrendous and my and my brother also, he, you know, having four sisters, my brother being the single boy, he was fav- being favourite then and um, my parents both allowed him to beat me up as much as he wanted and it became his game to make uh, my life miserable as children. I guess also my brother was so little, he maybe couldn't even understand why the parents were the way they were. So 
you know, children can become quite cruel, and if when you never tell off a child, they're just going to continue. So it was awful. It it really ruined all my adult life, my my childhood life. Sorry. So I'm, I'm Norwegian, so I'm still struggling a little bit with English. So excuse me. Oh, you're, so, you're doing um, you're doing great. Thank you. But uh, then you know, I I not only did my childhood destroy my childhood, it allowed a lot of my childhood to destroy my present that I had, and I allowed my childhood to destroy the um, thoughts for the future by living in a lot of self-pity, which I was entitled to. Look, I was never, ever sexually abused by my family at all, even though I was raped at the age of 15. But it was domestic violence, it was hitting, it was verbal abuse. You know, the voices that my father would scream at me that I was a whore child, the daughter of a whore, and all the adjectives you can think of in this world he would put in that for me to get out of his house. And obviously that has an effect on a tiny child who has nowhere to go. But thank God he he finds us and he saves us. And he, you know, I had a very good babysitter in my childhood. Jesus kept me alive because it's impossible if it weren't for him to to survive all what I've been through. So um, now, there was a point where, you know, at a very young age, um, you felt you came up with a solution where you could help your mom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about, I, I, you, know, that, yeah. you know, that, you know, in the midst of, yeah. you know, such cruelty, there is still this spirit and desire inside of yourself to, to want to help someone else, you know, a place yeah. of love still existed. You know, my mom, she was a, like, she could... Uh, put a long drink glass filled with gin and just top it up in an inch of water and she would drink the gin straight down and uh, and then she, she would uh i mean she could hardly walk and then i was little and i i just knew i always had to protect my try to protect my mother from my dad because he would beat her up they would start to argue when they were drinking and they would start to fight and she would say how miserable she was in this hellhole and and all this stuff, and and then when she got up to go to the toilet, I remember the one particular time that I, I was going to help her, and I had this tiny, co- I mean, it's not more than a meter long, and I, I mean, my brother now, I was in Norway this summer, and he had his baby in it, and I saw the cot that I was sleeping in, this this little bed wow. that I slept until I was eight, and it's still in that farm today, and then I, I managed to guide my mum into this uh, tiny little baby bed, <laughs> But to protect her from my dad, I thought he wouldn't find her. But there was a problem. I had my bed in my parents' room, so you know, you you felt as a. I mean, any child would try to protect the, the one of the parent if one is suffering, you know. So it, it's like an instinct, you know. But you know, learn to stay away because you get in the fire of fighting, and then you get hit, and so you learn. But that was a very early memory that I had. I was perhaps uh, maybe six years older, perhaps the same age as I was on the photograph of the book. Uh, so uh, it's, but I, it's amazing. I just know that one thing: God can heal, restore anyone, and He can take me through that without. A, I have not had one at all counseling session for my uh, past as a Christian 
since I became born again in 1993 at 27 years of age. Not one time did I have to go for counseling for my past because I had a great counselor. Jesus took the pain. He restored my childhood. He gave new memories. And, and that's basically why I wrote the book because I've read a, read a lot of these books and they in the category they're called misery books. But I thought that they're not all ending on drugs. They're not all ending on all sorts of stuff because... In the end of the day, they are happy ending too because I do strongly believe that we have power of our own choices as well. You know, The fact that I quit smoking when I was nine stopped me from taking any drugs when I was 16 when I didn't even know what hashes was and I'd moved away from home. And they, I ended up in this gang and they smoked and they passed the cigarettes around and I thought, these people are tight. They don't want to share their... Can't they roll their own? And I said, I don't smoke. But the choice I did as nine prevented me from taking any hashes, which I didn't even then know what was hashes, and that would have sent me on a wrong course. So I believe in choices. In the middle of adversity and tragedy, do believe in the power of our own choices as well, you know? And also, of course, the miracle of God. He, he holds up everything, holds up everything. He's not willing that no one should perish, you know? So it's amazing, uh, I am just so grateful to God. We have a question coming in from a listener actually in, it looks like, New Haven, Connecticut, um, here in the United States. And she's asking, Lila, you know, can you share with me, or what is your, actually her words are, what is your advice when I feel so broken and alone? If you've been through uh, abuse, one of the common denominators with people who've suffered very bad abuse is aloneness. And that's a thing that I suffered throughout my whole childhood, being alone and alone and standing on your own. And for me, when I was a little girl, I was just, you know, I, I remember I used to cry out to God, you know, for him to help me. But back then i didn't have anybody to guide me to god but if you if you um know the lord you know if you know him then the best thing you can do is cry out to him because in the end of the day there's nobody who would understand you better than the lord i mean like for me the reason i wrote my book is that because i take the people into my tunnel journey and when you have been on the journey so long in a dark tunnel of depression and despair, you're there so long you don't even know the way out, and you're in the bubble, and you camp there, and you end up there. So what I feel and hope that my reader and the response I'm getting is that they meet me, whoever reads my book, in my tunnel, and then step by step they see how I walk out, and then hand by hand, like I, I walked with Jesus and, and suddenly I was out of the tunnel before I knew it. So it's because the aloneness is a is a thing you can't you can't break you can't have anybody break into your aloneness, if that makes sense. It's the same way as a caterpillar with a butterfly. Somebody can't break out that butterfly inside the caterpillar. The caterpillar has to break out. And then as I say it like, you know, I broke out not because of my power but I broke out in the power of Christ, and then he just dried those wings that was hurting, and he made me fly again. So it's total transformation, and if you can trust God in your aloneness, and 
perhaps it can be a very good place to be because then you don't have all these voices telling you all these things. Just try to listen to the voice of Christ and know that he has a plan for you. He will complete the work he started and he's going to heal the wounds and the pain that that the devil has caused on you. He's going to heal it all. You know, just trust him. But there is no other thing than to break out and trust Christ for the aloneness. That's how I see it, though. But they can be different for other people, how people feel. But um, does that help? Yes, there's another question here from a listener in Vancouver, Canada. Right. And they're asking you to explain um, in more detail what you mean in terms of, you know, Jesus being the only counselor that you had. I mean, I think that uh, people can get great counseling, all right? I do believe in counseling. I am a pastor. I'm not a good counselor myself. We have people who are great at that. I believe in counselling. Don't get me wrong. I went to a psychologist with my problems, and I had counsel before I was born again. But for me, it was like an instant healing. That was for me, and... And it was this, the, the kind of, you know, I just heard, I was just found Christ a, a few months earlier, and I'd been to church five times, and then I and signed up for full-time Bible school. And and when the, I just heard, you see, I just heard about a man telling a story about a girl who had a new childhood. And by hearing that, you know, it's, it's like... A, the guy who was blind, you know, Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, David, have mercy on me. He heard Jesus was there. So something miracle happened when we hear, see, what Jesus can do, what had done for me, he can do for others. And that's what happened to me. I heard about the girl. I'd never saw the girl. It's just a man telling about the girl who claimed she had a new childhood. And as naive as I was and knowing no theology at the time, being a single mom, I knew one thing. Every Saturday, I gave my children Saturday candy, and even they are different ages, they had the same. So when I heard this story about the girl who had a new childhood, I went home that night and I said, Lord, you were there. You saw all I went through. If that woman had a new childhood, I want one too. And I'm human. I give my children Saturday candy the same. And and then the Lord showed me a scripture that I underlined in the Bible that God has no favorites in Romans 2.11. And that's the very first thing I ever underlined in the Bible. Romans 2.11, God has no favorites. And the reason I underlined it was because I saw people underline things in the school, Bible school, and I thought, these people are rude, writing in the Word of God. But then the voice said to me, how on earth are you going to find these things again if you don't underline? So I underlined Romans 2.11, the God, Lord has no favorites. And that's what I told him in the night. I said, but Lord, you said you have no favorites. If she had a new childhood, I want, want to. Good night, sleep well, Jesus. I didn't even know he didn't sleep. <laughs> so I just woke <laughs> up with new memories. <laughs> So I think, I do believe, and that's why my book was born, because I thought, if people can even hear my story, and they can see how I got healed, because I, I, have, I have girls down to age 12 and 13, two girls who'd written to me, and they both had planned to commit suicide. One had grown up in a great home, a Christian, but obviously depressed, and doubting God loving her. But after reading my story, she knew that he loved her and she's not going to kill herself. 
same with the 13-year-old. She had been through abuse, and she what she got out of how important it was to forgive those who hurt her, and she had now uh, uh, know that she's not going to commit suicide. And it, I, I just feel that, you know, the stink that the devil threw on me as a child has now become fertilizer for others and to help them to take, the land that the devil has stolen from them because that's what he does. He says in the Bible that the devil comes to murder, steal, and destroy and he stole my childhood. But we know that part well. The devil steals, murders, and destroys. But you know the second part says, but I have come that you might have life. Life and more abundantly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I hope hope that uh, uh, helps. So for Please go counseling. I will recommend counseling, but sometimes we can counsel people till the cows come home. And you need to want to let go. I don't want that. I learned something way before I was in, in, born again. It was in Dallas, actually, uh, with my first husband. And they said something significant there on a course. They said, do not look back unless you want to go there. And, like, I, I share my story to go back, to go there, because I don't have pain anymore. And when you're not healed, if something bad happens in your family, if something bad happens in the circumstance, you don't only happen the bad things that is in the moment it happens, but you relive everything else that you've been through the rest of your life. That's why you end up in a huge dark hole. And then you start to meditate of how awful it was for me. And Like for me, I was terrible. I was aggressive. I was shouting and this and that is because I have the right to be like this because of what they did. But then when I met Christ and and he started to do his work in me, then I realized, you know, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So to want to let go of the past and to then let the pain and uh, allow him to heal bit by bit, you know, heal bit by bit and just trust the Lord, you know, that, that that's so important. You know, and but I, it, I'm really strongly believe in, in in the power of God. You know, more than to how salvation. Does, he, pardon? How uh, another? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another another question from a caller, and yeah. it looks like they're they're calling actually from Basel, Switzerland. Um, from from Switzerland. Want, yes, and they well, want to know. Uh, how did your did your relationship with your father on earth um ever heal uh it's that's a huge question to answer i mean my dad um about 9 years ago gave me a farm that he inherited from his uncle that farm is in the mountains of the west of norway way 70 kilometers from where he was and by him giving the farm, I believe it was his way of of um, kind of, you know, make, trying to make things up. And to not forget that in 1997, I write in my book about my father trying to get in, me to mediate between my sister and him in a law thing, law case, lawsuit, and with the brother with some complication. And I refused my dad to mediate because I you know I I told I confronted him in 97 what he did to me as a child and then I said to him dad I want you to know that 
I have forgiven you. You can die, you can go to your grave. Yeah, I have forgiven you for what you did to me as a child. And I said, my brother, he has said he's sorry, and he has said that he regretted being so uh, uh, bad. But I said, you, Dad, you've never even said sorry, but I want you to know I've forgiven you. Ten months later, my dad come down to, uh, to the capital where I lived to my son's uh, confirmation, and uh, he then gets up to hold a speech after the other grandfather hold a speech for my son, and then my father starts to hold a speech to, to my son, but then he directs the speech to me, where in his own way, clumsy way, said it hasn't been easy for Lila, how she grew up and how tough. So in his way, he said sorry, but I believe that he heard that I had forgiven him, released him. It released him from the pain of regret that he would have had to live with, you know. And only uh, only soon, two years ago now, my father also passed away very suddenly. But I had a kind of relationship with my dad. I would go to his house, and I would clean his house. I would cut his hair. And you see, forgiveness doesn't make the person right. It sets you free. And the sh- like, I didn't know I have to clean my dad's house because... It wasn't like that. I have to clean it because now he will uh, recognize me. No. I actually felt sorry for the old man. I really did. And it was, I felt sore and neat there, and I cleaned, and I did. See, when you know, have forgiven people, you, then you, you can do that. You can do. You can clean their house. I cut his hair, you know. Just uh, the last time I saw him was Easter two years ago, and we were in the yard there uh, cutting his hair, and he couldn't hear anything. His hearing head was out. And, and I looked at my dad, and I wondered. I thought, uh, I thought he's going to go soon. He's going to not live long now. And, and uh, he was 75, and that's the last time I saw him because he, he actually quickly dropped dead in, in June, two years ago then, soon two years ago. But the relation, we ha- I had a relationship with my dad, yes. I used to sit and watch television with him when I went over to the farm and I was in Norway. And it was okay. Good. So, how about your mother? No, she she died when I was twenty, and I really never ever had a relationship with her, which made her death so difficult. And um, so I struggled with that a lot before I was saved. Of course, all that that was the difficult part to write in my book when she died, and how I dealt with that because I became suicidal myself because she died, I only understood two days after she died why she drank. And I thought, why couldn't a penny drop before so I could accept her drinking? So, um, but, I, you know, I didn't have any relationship with her at all, really. You know, she was no, just Lila, never... I yeah? had a wonderful young lady um, in the hospital a couple years ago, uh, when my right. own father had a stroke, and I had a wonderful, I did have a wonderful dad. And right. one of the experiences that occurred uh, while he was in the hospital was that I had an opportunity to see how God was um, able to bless so many people through right. their living and in their final stages of dying. And one of right. them was a young lady named Evelyn, who at 27, um, her mother was dying of liver disease from alcoholism. So right. Since she had been, the daughter had been about 14 years old, she had basically been raising her parent. 
you know, wow. and not knowing who her father was, and also raising, uh, you know, her sister, her younger sister. Right. And before her, she felt a calling to just go visit a church, and it happened to be Faith Community Church. Wow. And six months before her mother passed away, her mother and her sister went with her to church and accepted the Lord. And mm-hmm. what message would you give to young girls like Evelyn? Uh, her mother did, you know, pass away, and mm-hmm. you know the 15 year old, the the young, the younger sister who is now um, 17. Uh, you know, how do they continue to be strong in their love for their mother? and just continue to grow and have a role, be good role models as parents when they didn't have good role models as a parent? I don't think, because we live in a fallen world, we are not limited by our parents how we want to be, because then I should be an alcoholic now. But because I made choices, I made choices, alcohol, if you drink that in excess, it's dangerous. I don't believe that you are a result of your parents. I believe you're a result of God's sovereignty, you know. And I believe that no matter what goes on in life, it's down to choices. You choose what you want to do. You choose. It's not who raised you who defines who you are. It's what God planned before him laid the foundation of the earth to rest in the grace that he will complete the plan, his work out for you. You see, like for me, like like in, in other people, like could be conceived and the sex could be illegitimate, so you're a legitimate child. But you know what? Even sex is didn't create us. It's God's, how we were created in God beforehand. He saw us before he formed us in the mother's womb. We are not illegitimate, even if the sex was. So we are not at all a result of our parents. We are a result of God's sovereignty. We are a result of what we choose to do. If you want to work hard and do such and such, if if you want to choose to drink and you want to choose to drink alcohol to quench the thing, then that cannot blame that on the parent. That's a choice we make. I knew when I was uh, in 1991... I was up north uh, with my auntie and uh, my madman, and I went out three times a week partying. And I remember I was sitting there drinking spirit before with hand with my alcoholic auntie, and I drank three long drinks before I went out, and then in the nightclub till 4 o'clock in the morning. And there was one night she didn't put out the alcohol, the spirit. And uh, then I went to the nightclub, and I was really shaken, and I bought a pint of lager, and I gurgled it down half the pint of lager, and then I felt, oh, lovely relaxation going through my whole body. And then I wasn't even saved, and a voice said to me, that's exactly what your mom did. She drank to relax. Now you're relaxing. You feel it come the relaxation when you drink. You're becoming an alcoholic. And I stopped. (laughs) I stopped. Then, when I went partying from then on, I was very careful not to drink spirit. I could maybe take a beer, and I woke. It woke me up, you know. It woke me up. I didn't touch uh, things then, you know, like like I used to have to have a warm up before you go. So, I do believe in the power of your own choice 
because I do believe that the Lord, he wants to show us, he's a signpost, he wants to show us the way and follow that gentle voice inside who say perhaps that's not so clever to do that. And and when you ha- if you have parents that you have lost, God somehow would get to them some way with his voices. I mean, the summer before my dad died, he heard me preach three times. Three times he heard me preach. I, I preached in Norway in some tiny little Lutheran churches, some Bethania and some Philadelphia. And he came and he put the posters up and was in fact proud that his daughter was going to preach. And he arranged one place for me to do a service. In Norway we celebrate St. Olaf, so it's also day. And um, he arranged me to preach. And so my dad heard the gospel three times the summer before he passed away. So never underestimate how the Lord and he has his angels. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So trust in him completely. That That's uh, very important, I feel, you know. So it's not our own work. It's it's his, you know. Amen. Well, well, I, there, are, there are so many additional callers and questions um, wanting to get on, and I haven't, uh, we haven't brought them on live because of the technical problems we were having earlier. We just want to make sure right. we don't lose you. So I apologize for not getting the right. listeners um, in live, but we are getting and seeing your text come through and your right. email. Um, you know, we have a few more moments. I certainly hope that you'll come back and we can also do a video um, conversation with you with the listeners around the world. Um, right. Another Another question that is here for you is from Nogales, Mexico. And actually, I lived for a while in Nogales, almost Nogales. So it's Nogales, Mexico, and it's Lila. How do you raise your own children differently than you were raised? And how did you and your husband make a decision to make sure that you were good role models for them? If you have Jesus as your role model... You know, nobody's perfect, and we all go to bed with bad conscience as parents. Now, I was a single mother for six years in Norway. I was very broken and hurt when I was married the first time to the father of my kids, and the marriage broke down after six years, so I was single alone mom for six years. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, even if I have been, you know, hurt people, hurt people, so I would have hurt my children in a sense of, them perhaps seeing that I've been crying, or I've had to—I had to be very strict. I had to be the mom and the dad. But what I did with my children that I didn't have—that's what we tend to do as parents. Like I was never taught anything. I was never taught or given instruction. Be careful of that. Watch out for that. And and so when I raised my children, I kind of raised them, teaching them, instructing them. This is what. You, so that drives them nuts. No, right? Now they're grown up and I'm a granny as well. So it's like, oh, you have to always uh, know everything. But it's because I craved knowledge because nobody taught me nothing. I wasn't told don't go and play on the road. It's dangerous. Don't go and swing up on the beams in the barn and you can fall down. Don't climb on the rooftop of the house because we did. We climbed up on the rooftop and played and even the bus driver stopped and went into my mom and said, all the children are on the rooftop playing, you need to get them down. So I was, in that sense, teaching them, you need to get dressed, you make sure you eat, and instructed love. And, you know, 
I don't think there is a recipe of like, uh, for me, you tend to do what you didn't have yourself. And I kind of teaching my children everything all the time. And I still, in the church now, I'm very kind of thinking about, you know, healthy living and how to drink a lot of water, don't put on salt. I'm still like that because I'm craving knowledge and personality things as well. But if you've had a bad home, try to, I mean, and if you're, you, just remember that you don't have to be like your parents. If You don't have to be drinking if they did drink. You don't have to do drugs if they do drugs. And you can do it even if you haven't had role model because in the end of the day, Jesus is our role model. And he is grace. It's, that's what he does. It's, it's grace. It's not merit, you know. We don't try to please Jesus. Now he will love me more, you know. He loves us just so much. Whatever we sit and breathe or walk, he just loves us so much. And when we are loved so much by Christ, then we we love also our children, you know. But it's not always easy to raise children and teenagers and the gangs and all this stuff. Sometimes you just have to trust them to God. But I know that I have done the best that I know of my ability that I could have done with the background I had. I've done my best. I can go to bed in the night knowing i really flipping done the best I knew how to. But I can't do things I don't know how to, can I? And neither can you. You can't do things you don't know, but try to get knowledge. Try to find out what's healthy for your children. Try to find, try to, you know, I'm not a huggy person, but I want to make sure they're not cold and uh, this and that. I'm, I'm different. The more I show, show I love them through cooking i cook everything from scratch make bread and everything it's not because i want them to i love cooking so god puts it in you how you are you don't god doesn't surprise oh my gosh what am i going to do with her now god knows you (laughs) more than you (laughs) so we have um, one minute before we the show ends can you close this in prayer yeah, I will. Thank you so much for being here. This broadcast can be heard at sylviaglobal.com, and you're listening to Lila Bevan, author of Stolen Childhood and a wonderful, wonderful gift from God to all of us in the world. And I hope that you found her sharing today a source of encouragement along our series, especially on women, our spirituality, our faith, and transformative leadership. Lila, I'm going to let you close this out in prayer. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor that you are the author and the finisher. And we thank you, Father, that you said on the cross that it is finished. And I thank you, Lord, that we can, just as we walk on the snow, and just been snow, we can put, and somebody's walked there before, we can put our feet in and walk after and follow you. And we don't have to be confused in the direction. I thank you, Father, to guide all the people who listen. Guide them to the will that you have for their lives and live life that way they can live to glorify you and that they can just enjoy their salvation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. In Jesus' amen. mighty name. Thank you so much, Lila, for being here with us today. I look forward to having yep. you come soon. Thank you. Hey, God bless you. Bless you. Bye.